Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. We are just so grateful this morning for the opportunity to be here again, standing together in your presence before the throne of your grace. Uh, We want to thank you for the magnitude and the enormity and the profundity of your love and for the way you have lavished it on our lives. And I want to thank you that we can stand here today knowing that we are fully accepted, that we're included, that we belong in your family, that we are your sons and your daughters, that we are part of your kingdom, and that God, nothing could ever separate us from you and from your love. Nothing we do, nothing we are, neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor famine, nor sword, nor pestilence, nor things to come, nor things in the past. Nothing, God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I thank you that because of that love this morning. Father, we have a hope. We have a future. We have a life full of new meaning, new purpose. We have a destiny in you. And Father, I thank you for the liberating nature of that love. I just pray this morning that that love would set us completely free right now in this moment. Free to love you back, free to accept your acceptance of us, free to enjoy your presence, free to hear and receive your word. Free to accept what you're saying what you're asking, where you're pointing, and where you're leading. Just freedom. Thank you this morning, Lord, that your kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that will be our portion today and every day. And we ask these things in the precious, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I was going to say, God bless you. Take a seat. But look at you. (laughs) You're down already. Good morning. How are you all going? It's wonderful to see you. It's so good to be back in uh, your beautiful part of the world. And thank you so much, Dave, for the introduction. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to come down to uh, your part of the world and spend some time with you. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you today. And uh, what the Lord has impressed on my heart, I believe, has both, you know, immediate and personal and individual application to everybody in the room who is a follower of Jesus, who is curiously considering what following Jesus might be, what it might look like. And I believe that it also has, you know, particular implication collectively and corporately for you as a church. Obviously, I'm well aware that your pastor is on the brink of a well-deserved and long overdue break, and that as he and his family go away, I'm going to be believing with you and and praying with you for the Ryder family. I'm going to pray that God strengthens him, that God, you know, pours out some fresh energy and some fresh revelation and some fresh inspiration into your pastor's heart, that uh, the reset that he feels God is calling him to make gets made, that the patterns and the rhythms of his life come into line with what, you know, God has for him as far as his will is concerned in the season. So I'm going to be believing and trusting with you. And I do have a sense that on the other side of that, that there is something new and something exciting that God has in store for you as a church, something that he's wanting you to step into. And I believe that what he's impressed on my heart to share with you today um, in some way informs that and is in preparation for that. So in that sense, I feel that what 
God wants to say to us this morning has personal and immediate application to you in your journey of faith where you are with God right now. But at the same time, I'm just conscious of the fact that something new and significant is happening collectively and corporately for you as a church. And uh, I just want to encourage you to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. By the way, before we dive into the Word of God, I'd just like to point out that I love the way you're building shakes in the wind. I think that is awesome. It's like a momentary reminder of your mortality <laughs> every 60 seconds. Every time the building shakes, I want to just repent. <laughs> just get everything out, get it clean, confess, so that I'm ready to go just in case the, the roof comes down. But uh, I'll be believing with you, Dave, for the money you need for the aircon. I reckon you just need to hit up the Churches of Christ, man. Just send them an email. They got more money than they know what to do with. Just say, help us, give us money for our aircons, um, and I'll back you in that. All right. So uh, you probably won't remember this. But the first nine months of your life were pretty special. That's because for the first nine months of your life, you were warm, well-fed, safe, and secure, and you slept pretty much all the time. (laughs) That's because the first nine months of your life, you were safe and secure in your mother's womb. Unfortunately, you could not stay there. You had to make your entrance into the world. And so one day, that safe, warm, comfortable, snug environment that you found yourself in was very rudely disrupted when the world the walls of that world began to close in on you and all of a sudden you felt yourself being squeezed (laughs) and being contorted and being twisted and being pushed right and you found yourself forced through an impossibly narrow passageway as you made your way progressively to what sounded like a woman in distress. And eventually you burst out into the bright light and the cold air of the surgery or the birthing room or the backseat of the car, wherever it was that you were born, okay? And, and you, you, were, you were trying to figure out what the heck is going on and some stranger reached over and grabbed you by the legs and flipped you upside down and smacked you on the bottom and made you cry. All right, welcome to the world. <laughs> welcome to your life. And the truth of the matter is, from the moment we are born, life is a process of ongoing change. Your very first experience of life was one of change, adaptation, adjustment to a new normal, to a new reality, to life outside the womb. And of course, that change was then followed by the need for further change. Like you had to learn how to eat your first solids. And then you had to learn how to take your first steps. And then you had to learn how to tie your own shoelaces. And then you had to get ready for kindy. And then you had to go to school. And then you had to make new friends. And then you had to go to high school. And then you went through puberty. Oh, my goodness, can you remember puberty? What a disturbing and traumatic period of life that was. And then you graduated from high school. And maybe you went to uni or you went to TAFE or college or you traveled or you started working. And you transitioned into the world of adulthood. And you had full-time employment. Right? Maybe you got married. Maybe you had kids. And then, and then eventually retirement. Life is just an ongoing process of change from the moment you are born till the moment you die. And there's reason for that because change is an inevitable part of the process of life. It is an unavoidable and an essential part of the process of life because if there is no change, there can be no growth. And if there's no growth, there's no health. And if there's no health, there's no life. That is true naturally speaking, and that is true spiritually speaking as well. If we are going to become the fully formed, fully devoted followers of Jesus that God has designed and destined us to be, then change is inevitable. Change is essential. 
if you, New Spring Church, are going to become the faith community that God has designed and desires you to be in ever-increasing measure, change is a given. I don't have to tell you prophetically that change is on the cards. I can tell you with assurance change is on the cards because it always is. Change is a vital and a necessary part of life, naturally speaking and spiritually speaking. Somebody once said, life is like underwear. A regular change is good. And I think that's true, right? So what I want to share with you today is a message that I've simply entitled, The Challenge of Change. The challenge of change, because how many of you know change is not always easy? In fact, change is hardly ever easy. And that is largely because change is very often thrust upon us. Change is not easy because change is hardly ever chosen. Very often the change that we have to navigate in life is simply placed upon us without our permission, without our foreknowledge, without our acceptance. It just simply happens to us. COVID is a good example. Nobody wanted COVID. Nobody, nobody anticipated it. Nobody asked for it. Nobody deserved it. We all just got it. And we had to navigate our way through it. That is the nature of change. Very little of the change that we get to experience in life comes about as a result of the decisions that we make. Like I phoned my friend the other day uh, to chat to him about something, and I got through to his voicemail message, and uh, he said, uh, you know, sorry I missed your call. Uh, thanks for calling. Um, I'm in the process of making some significant changes to my life. If I do not get back to you, you are one of those changes. <laughs> I thought that's brilliant. I love that, right? Some of you need to put that on your phone, right? I'm telling you, there's some change that's needed in your life. There are some relationships that need to end, some people you need to move on, right? Now, fortunately, he did call me back, so I was not one of those changes. But I love that. The fact of the matter is that so much of the change that happens to us actually gets thrust upon us, and very little of the change we get to choose. Those of you who are in the business world will know this to be true, because our world right now is being changed in dramatic fashion by market innovators like Bitcoin and Tesla and Airbnb and Uber, who are not only disrupting their industries, they're creating and spawning whole new industries as a result of the change and the rate of change that is coming to those industries. And so you know as a business leader that if change happens outside your organization faster than it happens inside your organization, you're in trouble. That's why Tom Peters, the management guru said, if you don't like change, you are gonna like irrelevance even less. Right, how many of you know yesterday's experience is not today's expertise? Just because you have past experience does not mean that you have today's expertise. Why? Because the world has changed too much and too quickly. And so change is inevitable. Change is necessary. Change is essential. But change is very often um, kind of unpredictable and, and not asked for. And so for that reason, change is challenging. And because change is so challenging and because it is so vital and so essential, I want us today to turn our attention to our master teacher, to our Lord and leader, who taught his disciples about the nature of change, particularly as it relates to the change that God wants to bring. The change that God wants to bring into our lives, the new seasons God wants to lead us into, and the new things that God wants us to do. And if we turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, we're going to read the words of Jesus, who, to prepare his disciples for a rather significant change, gave them some insight into the nature of 
change. Reading from verse 29, for the sake of context, Luke chapter 5 says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, come Lord Jesus, <laughs> and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. Then he told them this parable. Verse 36, Luke 5. No one tears out a piece of material from a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have ruined the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours out new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Just so far. So background to this parable is Jesus, of course, now has burst onto the scene and he's begun his public ministry. And Jesus is attracting a lot of attention because he is saying and doing things that are provocative, that are controversial, that are unpredictable, and that are upsetting the religious establishment of the day. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the Jewish kind of religious elite, those entrusted with the leadership of God's people in Israel at the time, uh, are, are worried about this troublesome rabbi from Nazareth who seems to be doing and encouraging things that fall outside of the conventional accepted interpretation and application of the law. And so there's a bit of, a bit of a confrontation, and, and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees are, are challenging Jesus about how he's reading the law, how he's interpreting it, how he's applying it, and how he's influencing his disciples accordingly. Now, you and I know with hindsight that the reason why Jesus is doing this is because Jesus has come to implement change. Jesus has come to usher in a brand new reality. Jesus has come to carve out a new way to God, a new way to be reconciled to God, a new way to come into right relationship with God, and it's a way paved with grace and faith. And essentially, what Jesus is saying here through this parable is he's saying, listen, it is impossible for the old way to adequately support the new thing. God is about to do a new thing, but it is impossible for the old way to facilitate and administrate the new thing. God is ushering in a new covenant. God is making a new way for people to be brought back into right and restored relationship with God. It's a way of grace and it's a way of faith. But the old system 
of Jewish religious sacrifice and offering and, and tithing and circumcision and feast and festival observation and law keeping, that old way is just simply not adequate. It's not going to be capable of carrying this new thing that God is doing. So it's going to take a new covenant. It's going to take a completely new paradigm. It's going to take a new way of thinking and a new way of relating and a new way of understanding. So Jesus says, listen, nobody pours new wine into an old wineskin. Because the new wine will burst the old wineskin. Why is that? Because old wineskins are hard and inflexible and brittle. And new wine ferments. So when you pour the new wine into the old wineskin, what happens is the hard, crusty, brittle old wineskin cracks when the new wine ferments and releases gas and causes the, the, the um, wineskin to experience this internal pressure. So Jesus says, you know what you need? You need a new wineskin. You, you need a soft, flexible, supple wineskin that can expand as the gas is released by the fermenting new wine so it doesn't crack and it doesn't lose the wine. Right? So Jesus is essentially saying this new way of grace and faith is going to facilitate a new covenant, a new experience of God, a new way of relating to God. It is, in a sense, a new wineskin for the new wine that God is doing in and through the person of Jesus. Now, this, in a sense, serves as something of a pattern, something of a principle that gets worked out in multiple ways, at multiple levels, and in multiple seasons of our life as you and I go through seasons of change, as God leads you into new places, as God seeks to to do new things in you and through you. There is a need to constantly replace the old wineskins in order to receive the new wine. Now, a wineskin can be really pretty much anything. It can be a mindset. It can be a method. It can be a program. It can be a principle. It can be an attitude. It can be a disposition of the heart. Anything that facilitates whatever it is that God happens to be doing by His Spirit in that time, in that season, in that moment in your life. Right? And so at any given point in time, God is working, God is moving, God is building, God is constantly, actively by His Holy Spirit, outworking His plan and purpose, building His church, establishing His kingdom, but He's doing it in a certain way. And over the course of time, those ways change. And so consequently, we have to be ready and able and willing to change our mindsets, to change our methods, to change our paradigms, to change our attitudes, to change the approaches with which we outwork our faith in order to accommodate the new thing that God is wanting to do, whether that's in your life individually or personally, or in the life of your faith community collectively. You've got to get new wineskins if you're going to receive the new wine. In other words, you cannot directly stream Netflix to your old analog TV because the old technology does not adequately support the new delivery. You're going to have to get yourself a smart TV. Now, I know some of you are sitting thinking, thank you, Lord. I'll take that as a prophetic word. I've been thinking about it for the last five years. And I hear you, Lord, and I am going to go and obey. I'm going to go get myself a nice 85-inch 8K, you know full HD screen. The, the, the old technology doesn't support the new delivery. So you've got to change the technology, change the means, change the method so that you can experience the new reality. Right? 
And the same thing has to happen when it comes to how we receive the new thing that God is wanting to do in our lives, individually, in our church, collectively and corporately. It's going to require a willingness to let go of the old. In other words, what Jesus, in a sense, is saying here through the parable is sometimes, sometimes, the biggest hindrance to what God is doing is what God has done. Sometimes the biggest hindrance to what God is wanting to do now, in this moment, in this season, in your life or in your church, sometimes the biggest hindrance to that is what God has already done. The preceding move. The preceding outpouring. The preceding revelation. Whatever that might have been. And so if we're going to stay current, if we're going to stay in line, if we're going to stay in sync with what God is doing in this moment and in the season, it's going to take a new wine skin. Now, there are a couple of things that prevent us from embracing the new wineskins, the new methods, the new mindsets, the new paradigms, the new programs, the new, the new means, and then consequently prevent us from receiving the new wine. And for us, it's the same as it was for the Pharisees. So there were a couple of things that kept the Pharisees from being open and receptive to the new thing that God was doing in and through the person of Jesus and kept them attached to the old thing that they were familiar with, which was their, of course, Jewish religion. And so the first thing is what I call spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. This is the first thing that will keep you from letting go of the old in order to embrace the new so that you can receive what God is doing in this moment and in the season, right? And by spiritual blindness, I just simply mean the inability to see, the inability to perceive, number one, the need for change, or number two, the new thing that God is doing. It's just like a dullness in your spiritual senses and an inability to conceive it and perceive it and understand it. So in Matthew 15, verse 14, Again, Jesus, kind of in confrontation with the Jewish religious leaders, says the following. The disciples come to him and ask him, do you realize that you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? <laughs> Jesus replied, hey, every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. In other words, Jesus is saying, the unfortunate reality is that these leaders who have been entrusted with the responsibility of leading and guiding God's people have just simply become dull in their spiritual sensitivity. They cannot see, they cannot perceive, they cannot understand the new thing that God is doing. And because they cannot see it and perceive it and understand it, they are not willing to let go of their old methodologies and their old way of thinking and their old convictions and their old beliefs, right? They just can't see it. It's like a, about a year ago, I, I started um, cutting my hair really short, right? Getting what, what's known as a skin fade. All right, all you young people know what a skin fade is, okay? Skin fade is when they, when they basically cut your hair like, you know, really all short, all the way down to the skin on your back and sides, okay? Some of you have got, an, an, some of you have got a natural skin fade going on there. Yes, <laughs> yeah, right? This is an intentional skin fade, okay? And so... So I, I just got home from having my hair cut, and I was standing in the kitchen, and my son walked up behind me, and he stuck his finger in the back of my head. He said, Dad, what's this? I said to him, that's a sick skin fade, bro. <laughs> he said, no, not the haircut. He says, what's that on the back of your head? I said, what do you mean? He said, you've got like a big red patch on the back of your head. Looks like you got sunburned or like you've got a rash or something. I said, what are you talking about? 
He said, yeah, there's a big red mark there. And my wife was sitting in the living room just across from the kitchen, and she piped up and she said, oh, that's your birthmark. I said, my what? She said, your birthmark, that's been there as long as I've known you. I said, what are you talking about? I said, my son, bring your phone, take a photo. So he brought his phone, and he took a photo of the back of my head. And to his nuts, there's a big red patch on the back of my head. Now, can I tell you, I have been living in this body for 47 years. And I had no idea that there's a birthmark on the back of my head. I've never seen it. Nobody's ever referenced it. Nobody's pointed out. No hairdresser ever commented on it. I had no idea that it was there. I took the photo and I texted it to my mother in Johannesburg. I said, Mom, did you know about this? <laughs> She's like, yes, that's your birthmark, right? It's been there as long as I've known you. Like, it's a bit bigger than what it was when I, you, know, you were a kid. But yeah, that's your birthmark. I said, are you kidding me? What else are you not telling me? Mom, am I adopted? <laughs> right? <They're> like, <laughs> but here's the point. Like, sometimes you need people who can see what you can't see to help you know what you don't know. Sometimes you need people who can see what you can't see to help you know what you don't know. And so God will send people into your life, prophetic people, who will speak into your life individually or corporately and collectively as a faith community to help you see what you can't see so that you can know what you don't know about what God is saying, about what God is doing, about the new thing God wants to unleash, about the new outpouring He wants to pour on your life, about the new thing that He's wanting to do in and through His people in the world, right? And this is a problem with spiritual blindness. If spiritual blindness is imperceptible to the one who is blind. It's not like natural blindness. When you are blind naturally, you know it. You know you can't see. When you are blind spiritually, you don't know that you are. You're oblivious to it. You can't perceive it. So it's, it's best to just assume that you are. Because most of the time, we are spiritually blind. And so we've got to pray the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers to say, God, open the eyes of my understanding. Help me to see. Grant me revelation. Help me to know what I don't know. Help me to see what I can't see. Help me to see what it is you want me to see. And of course, Ephesians is all about you know, God's unveiling of the mystery that had been hidden in every previous generation. The, the unveiling of the mystery of what God was doing in and through the person of Jesus and His body called the church and how He was going to reveal His manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers and rulers and structures and cultures and authorities of this world and has been doing for the last 2,000 years. And so you and I have got to pray the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians and we've got to say, God, open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. Open my understanding. Help me not to be dull in my senses. Help me to discern. Help me to perceive. Help me to see what it is you want me to see. That's why in the Old Testament, very often when God revealed to the prophets visions and dreams and, and certain things, He would say to them, tell me, what do you see? What do you see? Write it down if you have to, but articulate it, describe it, vocalize it, verbalize it for me because I need to know that you are seeing what I'm showing you. What do you see? And so we've got, to be, we've got to be willing to come before God and say, God, help me see. Help me see. Show me what it is you're wanting to do in my life in this season. I don't want to be stuck in the old way of thinking, in the old way of being, in the old way of doing, when you are wanting to do a new thing. When you are wanting to lead me into a new season. When you're wanting to open my mind to new ways of thinking, new ways of believing, new ways of receiving. I don't want to be trapped in the old way. If you have something new for me. Matthew 16, verse 1 to 4, Jesus again 
going head to head with the Pharisees. It says, one day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you do not know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is a sign to the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. In other words, Pharisees and Sadducees, you are incapable of recognizing when God is at work and when God wants to do something new. And so we have to be willing to pray that prayer. God, help me see. Help me see. Help me perceive. Help me know. Help me understand what it is that you're wanting to do. So spiritual blindness. And then the second thing that often keeps us from seeing what God is doing and receiving what God is doing and letting go of the old wineskin so that we can receive the new wine is sentimental attachment. Sentimental attachment. And this is expressed in the words, Luke chapter 5, verse 39, at the end of the parable from Jesus. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For they say, the old is better. The old is better. Sentiment is not a bad thing, but it is a powerful thing. And very often, sentimental attachment to what God has done in the past and the way in which God has done it can keep us from stepping forward into the new that God has for us in the here and now and in the future. Um, I remember many moons ago when I was a youth pastor, um, I was leading alongside a friend of mine and we were running the youth ministry that I was um, a part of. And uh, we had a building, not too dissimilar to this building, actually, that was like our youth ministry hall. It was dedicated to youth and kids and young adults, all the next generation ministries. And over in the corner um, of the building was a Hammond organ. Some of you will be too young to remember what a Hammond organ is, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it was covered in a cloth, and it had a layer of dust about that thick on it, and hadn't been played in about 20 years. And so we decided we're going to get rid of the Hammond organ because, you know, youth ministry and Hammond organ go together like moon rocks and pizza. So, so my friend and I decided we're going to get rid of the Hammond organ. So one day we went over to the corner, we picked it up, and we're literally walking it out of the building. And the pastor's wife walks in. And she says, what are you doing? We said, we're getting rid of the Hammond organ. <laughs> she said, no, you're not. She said, put that thing down. <laughs> so we put it down. And she started to recount the history of the Hammond organ. And she started to tell us how back in 1972, when Sister Susie played the Hammond organ, the heavens opened and the angels sang and the glory of God came down and the Shekinah filled the room and she started to cry. Like she literally welled up tears rolling down her cheeks as she told us about all these things that had, had happened, all these wonderful things that God had done on that Hammond organ. And we realized this Hammond organ is going nowhere. <laughs> so we picked it up and we marched it back and put it back in the corner. Then about six weeks later, she and her husband went away on leave for about three weeks. And we went in and we got rid of the Hammond organ, all right? Because we figured it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission, all right? So young people, your pastor's going away for three months, right? This is your opportunity, people, <laughs> all right? Do what you need to do. Get it done, okay? So sentimental attachment will keep us attached to the past. You know the story of the Exodus you know, back in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were leaving Egypt on their way to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the, the land of promise, the land of inheritance, the new thing that God had for their future. Listen to what it says in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 to 6. They got halfway there. 
It says, Then the foreigners who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some of that meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Barramundi, snapper. I mean, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. For all we ever see is this manna, just bread every single day, flat, crusty, dried bread. Chapter 14, verse 1 to 4, it says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protests against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, saying, let's choose a new leader. (laughs) One who will take us where? Back. Back to Egypt. Now, hold on a second. I thought Egypt was a place of slavery. I thought Egypt was a place of bondage and oppression. Yes, it is. But you know what? It was a familiar place. And you know what familiarity does? It creates predictability. And predictability creates security. And so we long for what's familiar because it helps us feel safe and secure. And yes, it might not be ideal. It might not be preferable. It might not be the will of God even. It might not be where God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. But if it's familiar, it's predictable. And if it's predictable, then it's secure. And our hearts long for that kind of security. And so very often we say to ourselves, well, if only we could go back. If only we could go back to the, the, the good old days, right? You hear people talk about it. Oh, I love the old hymns. I love the old hymns. I love it when we sing the old hymns, right? Such an anointing on those songs. Well, I love the hymns too. But I'm pretty sure that what you feel when you sing those songs is not the anointing. It's sentiment. <laughs> it's an emotional longing for a bygone era, for a day when you sang those songs and they were profoundly life-changing and meaningful for you and And I have no doubt that they're anointed and graced. I love the old hymns. But in a lot of ways, they're an old wineskin. And so we have to be willing to embrace the new, the new methods, the new new paradigms, the new ways of thinking, the new attitudes, the new approaches, the new means. And the problem is, it's not so much that the wineskin is the issue, it's the wine. It's the wine. We're sentimentally attached to the old wine, to the old way in which God moved the things God said, the things God did. And sometimes our sentimental attachment to those can be quite profound. But how many of you know that life in the kingdom of God can only be lived forward, right? You cannot, you cannot step into all that God has for you by looking back and longing back. You have got to keep taking steps forward in this journey of faith. That's why in a lot of ways, the life of faith is like walking up an escalator that's coming down. Have any of you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to walk up an escalator that's coming down, right? If you haven't, this is your assignment for the week, all right? This is your homework. Go to a shopping center that has an escalator and and just try walking up the escalator that's coming down because there's a very valuable faith lesson in this for you, okay? And if the security come and give you trouble about it, you just say, well, I go to New Spring Church and Pastor Dave Ryder said I can do whatever I want in this place, right? And what you'll realize is as you are walking up, the escalator that's coming down, as long as you keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep walking, you're going to get to where you want to go, which is to the top. But the moment you stop, you're going to start drifting back. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep progressing. You've got to keep taking steps forward on your journey of faith. 
Right? That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God advances and forceful men lay hold of it. I love that description of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God advances. It always progresses. It never regresses. The kingdom of God is always expanding. It's never contracting. The kingdom of God is moving forward. It's never moving backward. And when you live by kingdom principles and kingdom priorities and kingdom values, your life gets caught up in the forward momentum of the kingdom of God. That's why Paul writing to his young protege in the faith, Timothy, Timothy said, Timothy, let your progress be evident to all. When people look in on your life, when they look in on my life, what should they see? Progress. Progress. Steps forward. Growth. Change. And they will, if you and I are willing to let go of the old ways of thinking and the old ways of being and the old ways of living and the old ways of doing that, for whatever reason, are no longer serving us well. If we're willing to embrace the discomfort of change, then we can step into the life and the energy and the vitality of the new wine experience that God is wanting to bring into our lives. And I'll finish with this final thought. It's simply this. You cannot move on to the next chapter in your story if you keep rereading the last one. You cannot move into the next chapter in your story if you keep rereading the last one. And I sense for some of you here today that that is a word straight from the heart of God to you. You might be rereading that last chapter because it was so painful and so hurtful and so difficult. And so you keep revisiting it and you keep rehearsing it and you keep going back to it. But friends, you will not be able to move on to the next chapter in the story that God has for your life if you keep going back and rereading it. For others of you, you may be rereading that chapter because it was so glorious and so wonderful and so beautiful and so memorable. You have so many fond memories of that chapter that your heart has become sentimentally attached to it and you cannot move into the new chapter in your story because you keep looking back and longing back for the chapters in your story that have already passed. And today the Spirit of God wants to assure you that what He has for you ahead of you is incomparably better than everything that he has had for you in your past God has a future for you full of hope full of promise full of blessing full of influence full of change full of life if you are willing to say God help me see open the eyes of my heart open my understanding Open my spirit. Help me to let go of whatever it is that I'm holding on to that is no longer serving me well. Ways of thinking, ways of being, ways of living, ways of seeing. Help me to get out of this place of feeling stuck and help me to take steps forward into the plans and the purposes that you have for my life. And as we do that, the Spirit of God begins to work and begins to move and begins to lead and begins to guide and ushers us into the new season that He has for us. How about we all stand this morning? We're going to sing in just a moment. But before we do, I'd love to just take an opportunity to pray. And I want to pray for all of us this morning and, and pray that God, by His Holy Spirit, would impart the grace that always accompanies His truth that will enable us and empower us to respond to what He's saying to us in a really meaningful way. But before we do that, I want to pray particularly for anyone here today 
who's come into this place feeling for whatever reason far and disconnected from God. I, I sense that for some of you, the very reason you came here this morning is because you're feeling far from God. You're feeling disconnected from God. It may be that you walk closely and intimately with Him at some point in your life, in your journey, in your story, but for whatever reason, maybe you've become distracted or disillusioned or disappointed. You've kind of wandered away from Him. And the only reason you got up this morning and came here is because there's a longing in your heart to reconnect with God. It might be that you're here this morning because you've come along with a friend or a family member, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've been coming along for a while. And maybe you haven't yet experienced the reality of God's grace and goodness and, and love lavished on your life. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Him. Maybe you've never asked Him to be your Lord and leader. Maybe you've never submitted and surrendered yourself to Him in any meaningful way. But as you're standing here today, you know in your heart that that is what's missing. That is what your soul is longing for, the reality of relationship with God. And the good news is that Jesus has paved the way with grace. Jesus has opened the door. Jesus has invited us in. And through our faith and our trust and our confidence in Him, we can know right and restored relationship with God. So before I pray for all of us, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed all across this auditorium, if you're saying, Tim, that's me this morning, I don't want to walk out of this building feeling far from God, feeling disconnected from God, feeling like I'm struggling in my shame or in my guilt or in my sin or in my sense of separation, I want to know that I'm right with Him and I want to know that I am restored to right relationship with Him. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you specifically today. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you just to put up your hand so I can see who you are and where you are and who it is that I'm praying for. And I'm going to pray specifically for you. And then we're going to pray for everyone else in the room. So if you're saying, Tim, would you just please include me in that? Because I need to make that connection today. Just slip your hand up and keep it up for a moment. That's right. God bless you. That's wonderful. At the back, God bless you and down here. That's wonderful. God bless you. Father, I thank you so much for the hands that you see raised now. Such a simple but sincere gesture, Father, indicating that they have heard your voice, Lord, that they have heard and sensed your um, voice whispering to them, drawing them, leading them, calling them back, Father, to that place of intimacy with you and dependency on you and obedience to you. And I pray, Father, right now in this most holy and sacred of moments that you would just lavish your love upon them that you would give them the assurance, Father, that they um, are accepted by you, that they are included in your family, that you have done everything necessary, Lord, um, for them to come back into a right and restored relationship with you. And I pray that this morning would be a watershed morning for them. Father, I pray that they would, um, Father, just sense a lightness for their spirit as they release whatever sense of shame or guilt or failure they may be carrying this morning to you. I pray that would dissolve in the presence of your grace and your acceptance. And I pray that you would give them the assurance today that as they walk out of this place, Father, that they are right with you. And I pray that when they lift up their heads off the pillow tomorrow, God, they will wake up to a new reality, the reality of your presence in their lives, and they will walk hand in hand with you from this moment on, Father. So I thank you for each one of them. We bless them in Jesus' name. And for the rest of us standing here today, Father, I thank you for the plans and purposes that you have for each and every one of us. I thank you, God, that they are plans that are full of hope and full of blessing and full of life and, Father, full of um, influence. And, Father, I pray that you would give us the capacity to believe you for it and to receive it. Father, I pray that you would grant us the grace to let go of whatever it is we might be hanging on to, Father. 
that is in any way not serving us well, Father, in the season or in the future that you have for us. I pray that you help us to break free from the shackles of sentimental attachment to the past, and you will help us to be vigorously committed to the future, the future that you have for us. Help us, Father, to be vision-driven, Father, and vision-led. Help us, Father, to be moved and inspired and motivated by the revelation that you grant us, the picture that you show us, Father, of the future that you have for us. And I pray, God, that as we boldly and courageously take steps forward towards the fulfillment and the realization of all that you have for us, that you would be honored and glorified in us and through us. God, I pray that for each and every one of us individually, and we pray that this morning for this church. Father, as Dave and Andrea prepare to go and take some time to recalibrate and refresh and refocus and reset, I pray, Father, that the exact same experience would happen here for the church, that this will be a time of refreshing, a time of resetting, a time of reinvigoration, a time of realignment alignment, a time of re-energizing, Father, so that when they come together again next year, Father, that both congregation and leaders will be positioned and ready to step into all that you have for them so that your purpose might be served, so that your name might be honored and glorified here in this city in Jesus' name. And we ask it in his name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. 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 All right. Thank you.